Did you know supply chain and ransomware is a thing in the cloud as well, especially in AWS. There are a lot of examples out there. And this is exactly what we spoke about in this episode of Cloud Security Podcast. We had Nandesh Guru, who's an engineering manager in VMware. We spoke about common examples of supply chain attack, ransomware attacks in the AWS context, and how does it affect the broader cloud space as well in terms of Azure, Google Cloud, broader public cloud space. We also spoke about how you can start working towards resolving these things, or at least getting an understanding of how you can work towards not having a supply chain attack scenario in your organization, or probably even a ransomware attack scenario in your organization. Then we spoke about the cloud security posture management space, how that's kind of evolved. For people who remember the fourth generation of CSPM video that I did last year, we spoke about the fifth generation and possibly the sixth generation. What does a customer expect from a cloud security posture manager? They want a holistic cloud management platform and not just your cloud security posture management tool that tells you this is the CIS benchmark you should apply to. Now, this is a jam-packed episode. Again, great discussion with Nandesh. We spoke about the challenges that are there in the current space from CSPM perspective, CIEM. What is CSPM and how CNAP kind of took into a place as well? And if you know someone who probably is looking at getting information about supply chain, ransomware attacks in the cloud context with some examples, definitely share the episode with them. And in case you're here for the second or third time, definitely consider following, subscribing to our socials. We talk about cloud security every week on our podcast, YouTube, LinkedIn, in Twitter. I can keep going on about social media and the audio podcast platforms. If you are finding this valuable, it really means a lot of when you share some feedback. So thank you for everyone who shares their feedback on shares the episodes on social media as well. It really means a lot. I hope you enjoy this episode with Nandesh Guru and I will see you in the next episode of AWS Security in continuation of our AWS Security Month, which is November 2022 in celebration of AWS reInvent. By the way, if you're coming to AWS reInvent, the Cloud Security Podcast is coming to AWS reInvent as well. And we are releasing a new project if you haven't seen that yet, I'll leave a link for the teaser for the new project that we have announced for AWS reInvent as well. But otherwise, enjoy the episode and I'll see you in the next episode for AWS Security on the Cloud Security Podcast. See you next episode. Peace. By bringing developers and security together, you don't have to choose between speed and security. Develop fast, stay secure. Welcome, Nandesh. Thanks Hello. for coming in, Thank you for having me. Long-time listener. I know, and I'm so glad you came in, by the way. You have the OG mug. I've got an OG mug as well, man. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. (laughs) For people who don't know you, I imagine there's only one or two people in the crowd who probably don't know you. If you can share a bit about yourself, how you are, where you are, and what you've been up to, man. Yeah, sure. Before I get into that, I want to just just mention a couple of things that I've been a long-time listener. I've been listening to your episodes since the early days, 2019, I believe, end of 2019. You started 2020, and I remember this app they used to use to record the podcast. (laughs) You mentioned that app. I'm like, guy's amazing. He wants to inspire the community. Like, he wants to show how easy it was for to record a podcast and you can do it too. And that kind of like, that showed me a lot. They want to give back to the community. want to get, you know, get inspired. So thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that, man. Thanks. So about me, my journey into cloud security wasn't conventional. I had yet to gain experience in cloud security and that didn't happen until 2018, 2020. But before all that, I was by trade, a backend engineer. I built distributed systems. And in 2016, I went to this, I joined a startup called Cloud Courier, and I went, it was mainly around helping customers with the cloud security space. And I go into the interview, I talk to the CTO, really nice guy, amazing mentor of mine. And he mentioned about this big problem in cloud security, this cloud space and security. This is 2016 we're talking about. I just took a leap of faith, joined the startup. And then I got to really understand the space. And back then, cloud security 
space was so nascent, was so new. No one even knew what a cloud security posture management is supposed to do. If people were yeah. doing some basic security check, like uh, looking at a property on S3 bucket, hits public or not, or a security group put open to the world, things like that, something really basic, right? But the approach this startup was doing, I think we were the first one to do that, is we took all that config from the cloud assets and model has a graph DB, like a graph model. So that was really cool context. And I'm really proud of being part of that journey, sort of inventing that. And this is what sort of led to us, VMware acquire us in 2018. So that was, again, a really cool experience to go through that acquisition, that transition, that the journey being fourth engineer on the team, a really small team. So basically I had the front row seat to do everything happening. So before. you were part of the whole, you know, what people are, are nowadays want to have that visual graph thing. So you're probably one of the first folks to even work on something like that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And now every security product has that, right? This is yeah, like- Yeah, I was going to say, like, I mean, now it just falls like, a, oh, you don't have that? Why didn't you have that? Like, there's no connection to any resources. How does it make sense? I mean, I think uh, this is probably- Maybe a good place to start is also what is a supply chain attack? And in the AWS context, people hear about that in the application context. What is a supply chain attack in the AWS context? Yeah, so I'm going to take a step back here and really talk about the cloud native application. So there are four main phases of supply chain risk. Let me yeah. start fast. The first one is the code itself, the application that you're building. Yeah. And organizations are looking for ways to quickly bring their product to market, innovate quicker. So they are using open source. And you know, with open source comes lots of other baggage with that, vulnerabilities with that. So that's the first place that there is a risk of supply chain. Yeah. Once you build that application, the next step is to, well, if you're deploying in a container, then you need a you need Helm chart or some sort of a base container image to deploy the container application. So that's the second vulnerability risk factor. Yeah. Now, so, so you got the application, you have the container ready to go, image ready to go. You have to now deploy it to the cloud. So for that, you need to build the cloud infrastructure. Again, you're using Terraform or CloudFormation templates. A lot of them has default settings or misconfigurations, and you end up getting more of that risk part of that supply chain. And then yep, finally, yep. the supply chain from the governance side, like you want to use vendors to monitor your infrastructure to understand what type of workloads you have. And, and just for that, you're giving them access to your environment. And in a way, you're sort of opening up from that supply chain risk. So in a way, ultimately, you're taking on this compound risk. That's what I call it across all these different phases. And this is what sort of makes it very hard, very hard to sort of get things in control. And this is the challenge that most of the organizations are going through. Right. And so to your point, then a cloud native application, that's what they're trying to build towards. So a supply chain attack, are there like different kinds of it? Or are they just like, I mean, what would be an example of a supply chain attack? If you want to, is there a real world example maybe that you can share? Yeah, the first one, sub supply chain, traditionally hijacking updates. You sort of get updates, any software, any modern application oh, yeah. updates. So you, you get updates and attacker can, you know, put in the malicious binary in there. And then that way you end up getting that new update. The other one is undermining code signing. You sort of uh, breaking the build system, signing build system, and then you sort of push your own update to that. The third most common one that, that, that we see is the open source. This is where the threat actor would maintain, first of all, get the access to the environment where the package is hosted for, for example, retain the same functionality of the package 
and then sort of ingest this malicious code to steal secrets or do whatever in it and then push that to the uh, pack repository where it was hosted. And this is where yeah. downstream dependencies download those packages without knowing what they are actually install. Oh, and uh, sorry, that's interesting because as the way I kind of lay it out for people who may, I guess, may not understand the context, but because you're already running your application, you haven't done anything different, but the person who has the open source code, who has updated the dependency for, I don't know, whatever malicious, like every time Ashish types in his uh, username, password, I log that and I send that to my attacker or whatever. I could make that as a dependency library, which you just ingest into your code and everyone just keeps using the same without even knowing it. Yeah, exactly. And this is actually a real example that a real hack that happened um, right. in a supply chain where a, a Python library, a package, a popular Python package context was updated by this attacker and with the intention to exfiltrate a bunch of AWS secrets from your environment. So right. the attack was so simple. Let me share that, right? So what happened was a developer used a domain with the email address with a with with domain to create an account yep. in some uh, repository API. And, and is a popular package management repository where he, he did push that context package and then, and everything was fine. It was, it was a popular package is it has uh, 22,000 downloads weekly oh. and it's been used by most of the applications basically because of this use case. Yep. And the attacker found out that the domain address associated with the email, which the developer used to begin with, has been expired. So guess what he did? He spent $5 to re-register that domain yep. and created the email address and went to the repositories. They forgot password. The email address came to him, reset the password. No, zero code, zero code, zero scripting, nothing. Is this all manual, right? Obviously he had the code to detect all those accounts which were had domain. But in this actual hack, that was no automation, just all manual work, but somehow, now he had the open source, so basically had to just add this new additional code to still secrets. Yeah. And then he published that new update version to the repository and it impacted over 3 million users and exfiltrated over 1000 AWS secrets. Wow. So when you asked a question, it's probably kind of related to what you were saying earlier. How do you evaluate code scanning tools to use? I mean, do you use different tools for different use cases? Yeah, there is a um, software composition analysis. Uh, yeah, analysis process, and there is a static code analysis, and then dynamic code. So there are different categories of tools depending on what you want to do. What's the focus is there? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'll probably add one more thing that as long as you find the right tools to talk about open source versus say, static analysis, hopefully that helps beneath. But it's just definitely a very different category. But I think to what you were saying earlier, the cloud native space as well as the core space is kind of combining slowly, so you can't talk about cloud infrastructure without talking about code scanning dependency and stuff as well. I think the kind of example that you used about the dependency thing as well. So hopefully that answers your question, Manit, but I guess if you have a follow-up question, feel free to ask. And he loved the example that you gave as well, by the way. That was an amazing hack. So supply chain attacks, you kind of gave a good example there about the PyPy thing from Python. Uh, that was like a pretty, pretty scary one. And sounds like it affects not just AWS, it affects every CSP out there. Is that right? Yep. Yep, exactly. Because, you know, secrets are in the environment and any applications that you run either on a VM or a containerized system, you can steal them. So yes, it could affect any cloud. But I just want to call out that hack was actually a researcher who who just wanted to show the potential. So he admitted it like, hey, I I hacked this. He called it out. He explained the whole thing. So he just wanted to show like what the impact could be. He says he did not use the creds for any malicious use. 
But again, just want to show how easy it was for anyone to go and do this hack. And there are so many packages out there at NPM and so many of the repository where accounts are just out there with email address with expired domain. So this hack, you know, I bet most of us has some sort of open source application that we use in production right now that could have this potential risk. Wow. And to, to your point, I think worthwhile calling out because there was a stat that came out some time ago. I think 75 to 80% of the code that's written by most organization is open source because libraries yes. and kind yes. of things that you can look at it as well. Yes. I mean, you know, this is something that, you know, it's easier to reuse the code. Yeah. Uh, it's no, no brainer. And also it's faster to bring the product to the market. So why yeah. not? Business initiative anyway, because that's what they're trying to push you towards that you should just like push it out in the market as soon as possible kind of a thing as well. So, okay. In, in that case, maybe switch over to the ransomware side as well. Then how does that kind of play into a AWS world? How does ransomware? Oh, actually, what is ransomware? Because I don't even know how many people know what a ransomware is. What is ransomware? So ransomware is this type of attack where a threat actor will, will sort of get hold of your business critical data and yep. either copy it and then delete it or encrypt it and then put a note for you saying, hey, you can get this data back once you pay some ransom. So this is the ransomware attack is. So all yeah. right. So feel free to put that yeah, in kind just, of like, put some money in or Bitcoin into it. And what's the use case for that in the AWS context? Like how would this play out? Yeah. So from the traditional ransomware attack on the VMs is no different than data center. You can have the same VMs run instances running on within the cloud. And yep. then you can compromise those publicly accessible EC2 instances or exposure to public or even to the supply chain attack that I was talking about. So somehow you get access to the environment and then you can just look around what type of, you can install the malware, which sort of encrypts the data. And then you can also share that. The attacker can then also spread that to other instances. That's nothing to do with the cloud. But one particular attack that we see in the cloud is with the S3 service. So right. it's a very, very popular service to store all the objects. And this is where the attacker will simple, just have access to those via supply chain or somehow get hold of the creds and copy all those data from the S3 bucket and then deletes them. And then if you want data back, you have to pay some ransom. So right. But would it limit itself to S3 bucket or can it be like, a, I don't know, Azure blob storage or one of the other ones can it affect that as well? Absolutely. Any storage services which we can store data can be a fair play here, right? Actually, that kind of reminds me because the traditional example that people use for ransomware is more like, hey, I clicked on a phishing link, someone downloaded something, they took over the machine, and now all that I get on my screen is, hey, pay the money or you don't get your data back. This is kind of like a bit more sophisticated in the cloud space. So it's like, you almost like, because I mean, there's another stat that I was reading somewhere like 50% of the corporate data is in S3 buckets these days and everyone's using using it to some extent. And I think to what you said, it's a very popular service is AWS S3 bucket and misconfiguration in that is also what leads to data breaches as well. That whole, my S3 bucket is public to the internet, although that's a lot more not heard of as much. With the ransomware side of things, I think you kind of gave me an example about the encryption side as well just before. So how would it play out in an encryption context? Like, So I get the part where Oh, your S3 bucket is public. I copied the data or left a note there for you. Hey, Nandesh, pay me blah, 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 Bitcoin, and I'll give you your data back. Is there the other one which you're talking about, the encryption part? How does that work? Yeah, so this is more of a uh, hypothetical situation uh, scenario. Right. It's hard to sort of exactly play it out the, the way I'm explaining it, but this is one way it could happen. Right. There is this KMS service in AWS, a key, key management service, right? So, and it's basically to manage, create, and you know, manage your cryptographic keys to encrypt your data. 
Yeah. And there are two types of keys. One is AWS Manage, is, you know, as it says, yeah. managed by AWS. Yeah. Second one is Customer Manage, which is managed by customers and which has a high degree of control on what permissions you can give to this key and who can use it. Yeah. Now, in the more practice here would be you give one particular system to encrypt the data only and other yeah. systems to use the key to decrypt the data. So yeah. that way it's basically you have a segmentation of duties and you're not sort of one particular system is not doing the both thing. Yeah. Yeah. But this could be also leveraged by the attacker where the attacker could be that person can only give one way access. They can only encrypt the data from the victim's account. And to decrypt it, you have no access to that. The only way you can access is by this way of giving the access to the KMS key. Ah, uh, all oh right. Okay. So you take over the, basically the encryption key. So you, you still see the data, but it's encrypted. Encrypted. Like, and when you open it, it says access denied because you don't have access to decrypt that. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, oh, and so the hypothetical over there is that they have had a, an IAM role or something that's allowed them to change the encryption, I guess, key. Yeah. So, you know, typically the IAM role is very permissive. Yeah. It has a permissions to encrypt, re-encrypt the, you know, if it's encrypted already, it has to have permission to re-encrypt the data or is this KMS uh, star wildcard action basically, <laughs> right? Anything you can do on this from the KMS service to any resource, right? Um, and this is where sort of you can use the key from the hacker's cloud account, for example, yeah, and hacker can then go encrypt all the data. Yeah. I, th I think I, I laugh at this, but I think I definitely don't want to downplay the emphasis on not having a star permission for KMS as well. I think, you know, people talk about you should not give your IAM role admin star access or you should not give S3 star access or you shouldn't. But not many people talk about the KMS part. So I'm glad you're calling it because that's what I'm like. Actually, that's true. We talk about IAM quite often. We talk about S3 bucket quite often, but not many people talk about KMS. You know, like in AWS KMS, no one talks about the fact, especially because Amazon themselves recommend, hey, you should probably try and split your key into encryption key separate, decryption key separate. One team has access to encryption. One team has access to decryption. But that way you can make sure that, oh, accidentally someone you know gets access, they can't do anything about it. So maybe this is kind of where our own defense might actually kind of, you know, come and bite us in the back, I guess. Yeah, awesome. So now we have kind of like laid out the two scenarios. Probably should, would this affect broader than your, like we spoke about the blob storage and stuff would be affected as well. Do you reckon these kind of scenarios, sounds like they should be, but they can be applied to other CSPs as well. Yeah, I mean, well, other, first of all, I want to call out like other services as well, like that use KMS. KMS is highly used service for encryption. So it's yeah. used for Elasticsearch. Open search now, and then a bunch of others that EBS snapshot uh, encrypting volume, any of those things, any of those yeah. uh, systems can have it. Also, true for other CSVs as well. There's a key vault sort of similar to KMS in, in Azure, and also crypto key for GCP as well. So, you have policies you can control that. So, yeah, similar attack scenarios is also a fair game there as well. I think I'm going to throw a spanner in there as well because you know how people uh, Amazon always recommends they use all the Amazon services, and I think. I don't want people to walk away from this and going, oh, I think what Nandesh and Ashish is saying is don't use the cloud native service. We should just buy, I don't know, one of those uh, HashiCorp Vault or something for KMS. And that way all my problems are solved. But I, I think the logically the problem would still exist. Yes. It's, it's the whole point of not having awareness of your key, I guess. Is, is that right? Awareness and also the control. Like you want to make sure that you sort of pin down those permissions to the right users, human or machine users. Make sure that you have those understanding before you, why you're giving them that access and, yeah. and have a good control on that. Yeah. And I think it's probably a good segue into the whole space. That's great. We spoke about ransomware. We spoke about supply chain. 
And I think we, you and I spoke about the whole, I did this video on the whole four generational CSPM as well. And the reason I bring that up is because does a CSPM play any role in supply chain attack or ransomware attack? And maybe what is CSPM? Because I don't even know how many people know CSPM as well over here now. Yeah, CSPM, Cloud Security Posture Management Solution, yeah. is, is essentially understanding your posture in the cloud. And the solution will, first of all, collect all that data and then really understand how things are configured and then show all the findings to, hey, you have S3 bucket, which is publicly accessible, or you have this EC2 instance, which is also publicly accessible or not encrypted, things like that. So this is also true for Kubernetes too. So you have the KSPM sort of side of that. It definitely helps. The first thing you want to do is get the inventory of your assets. Understand yeah. what are your public assets versus encrypted. You have the data is a crown jewel for any organization. Make sure you have right encryptions there. You have the right tagging, first of all, so you know where things are, how we manage them. And then based on that, you want to make sure that you sort of have the right mitigating control. If it's a business critical data, you, you have encryption enabled and there are other different layers that they can go enable as well. Would the supply chain would be kind of covered by CSPMs as well? Or is that something that there'll be parts of it covered? It's a gray area for sure. There are some things that uh, CSPM will not cover, right? It's again, like CSPM has this definition, which is evolving and we can talk about that as well. I definitely, I think it's worthwhile calling out because we have found is it's like the four C's of Gartner. No one cares about is what I use as my talks because it's kind of like has become that thing where people used CSPM, but CSPM is butchered so much. Now people hate the word CSPM and but then there's still version existing from it so maybe to your point then that the whole where does this in the cnap evolution how does that kind of play into this role as well for supply chain yeah so so um you know i just want to give some background first so this sort of have moved on from cspm they don't want just cloud like you mentioned they are actually also running that container to the you know in the cloud environment yeah and they want protection for the cloud native application right this That's is right. the whole idea yeah and all the way from scanning the container image, even before that, like scanning the Git repo for any of those, uh, you know, malicious code there, and also the images, also the infrastructure. Uh, once you have the infrastructure, the next step is to understanding how the containers sort of interact with uh, the infrastructure and what part has access to what service, to what load balancer outside in your AWS or any of the cloud environment. Yeah. So having that visibility understanding is also very critical. And this is what customers are sort of looking out for now. Like they want the complete solution, not just CSPM. Aside from all that, they also want to have a CIEM, which is another acronym, the Entitlement Management Service. So to understand, and this is all kind of bringing back together with the permission. This is the IAM is the perimeter of the cloud now. And you want to yeah, make sure yeah. the understanding of your permissions that you're giving to your principals, either you know, yeah. IAM users or roles or what have you. And then you also have the anomaly detection. Right, God Duty is one of the examples from AWS. There are other examples from Azure and GCP as well. And then, yeah, yeah. and then other vendors are also coming up with their own UEBA solution to sort of compensate the gaps there. Yeah, yeah. The journey to kind of solve this has kind of become a lot more complicated. Even though, like a lot of people still say, "Hey, use a CIS benchmark as a good starting point." And would you say people have kind of evolved from a CIS benchmark as well, even though that's used as an example to begin with? Definitely, they are looking for more. CIS is definitely a starting point, and it's more from the compliance point of view, but there's still a lot of gap there. You can't just rely on CIS benchmarks and call it done. You have to do more. Yeah, like I think CIS benchmark won't help you with the supply chain or like ransomware. It's not going to talk about any of that. And to your point then, okay, so if that's the case, is there an easy 
win here for people? Because I imagine, I mean, we get a mix of uh, people who listen in. There are people who are enterprise, have big teams behind them. They probably already have some kind of CSPM tool. They're already working with that. But then there are also like the other spectrum of people. There's a lot of startups that started using cloud as a thing as well. I don't imagine they have a lot of budget to kind of work on these things or even the expertise to kind of work on these things as well. Where do you see them normally kind of work and operate or maybe even work on solving this problem in, at their scale? Have you seen examples of it or what do you normally recommend people there? Yeah, so my answer will be a little biased here because from the vendor's perspective. So again, this is from the cloud point of view. You have a different problem that you're solving. Security is not your sort of main thing that you want to spend resource your energy you know first of all you have to you have limited energy resource if you can offload that to some other solution even cloud yeah. native solutions doesn't have to be vendor could be any yeah, of yeah. cloud native solutions i mean they're not free still like the i mean the guard duty that you mentioned they're not free but they're still at least available for you to use yeah right but you know it's hard to manage if open source is great there's so many open source out there proud steam pie cloud query that you know i can go on and it's great you know it's just, it's a great hackathon project if you have one or two accounts it's great you do a snapshot <laughs> and then you're done and call like but this is a continuous thing like you cannot just yeah. stop by day you know doing it yesterday and like hey i'm good for another month here guys that's not going to work it's a continuous effort you have to be at it every single day right and yeah. it can no longer be a second thought, like afterthought, in my opinion. Actually, but that's a good point because it's no longer, because of how earlier people would say deploy any software. I think uh, this is back in, uh, I'm going to quote VMware here, like back back in the day when people used to have a lot of virtual machines that used to run in actual data centers, it wasn't like a ongoing thing. Yes, you had a SOC team monitoring, blah, blah, blah. But these days your environment is getting new services. Like AWS reInvent is going to come in and there's going to be a new, at least, I don't know, two, 300 new services going to be announced. As you even go towards it, there'll be a lot of services that are announced as well. So the whole notion of your environment is not changing is not true anymore. You're introducing new services without even you wanting to have new services. There are new services being introduced. Exactly. And you kind of have to keep adapting to it. So you can't just, to, to your point, say, oh, I've done my part. I think I'm good. I've ticked all the CIs, benchmark things. I've done what Nandesh said. I've taken care of my keys as well. So I'm good. You can't just do that because your key may be used for sort of a new storage service that may get released and you have no idea. Exactly, right. This is going to be an ongoing effort. And this is sort of, you know, I can sort of imagine this for, you know, why do people not have self-managed Kubernetes. They use managed Kubernetes because yeah, they don't yeah. run all that themselves. That's not their expertise. Yet. And we yeah. all went through that. We all started with self-managed Kubernetes. And then we go to EKS, GKE, AKS, and other product managed Kubernetes. And we're like, thank God, this is such a great relief to us because now we can focus on the actual stuff and rather than having the system up and running all the time because yeah. that's 50% of my energy right there. I 100%. I think uh, the other part is also, we, told, we spoke about the whole four generation of CSPM, but you said there was a fifth one as well. I think the four generation for, for context for people, there was a YouTube video that I did for four generation of CSPM. I think you had kind of called out the fifth generation. Do you want to, I mean, I can do a very short summary, but you, I'm, I feel like you do probably do a better job as well. And you can add the fifth one in the end. Do you want to quickly go through how you see the CSPM space evolved as, evolved as well? Oh man, you got to put me on the spot here. Uh, I mean, it, we went from agent to agentless and from agentless to start basically doing CWPP inside it as right. well. Because you mentioned kind of fifth generation as well. I think the very first version I still remember was very compliance driven. It's more like, hey, CI is benchmark will solve all the problems for you. And I think, unfortunately, that was probably a great start for people who did not know what cloud security was. But now to what you said earlier as well, 
we've evolved so much. There is so much data in there as well and so much complexity. How do you describe the fifth generation? I'll probably link, put a link on the fourth generation of CSP in the, in the show notes so people can see it. Like, how do you describe the fifth generation? So that was uh, last year or this year? When was uh, this? No, that was like last year video. Yeah, and still, yeah, still going so to now from there. And I can, I can give you more information. Oh, now. perfect. So the fifth generation as well. Then. <laughs> I mean, it's like I say, it's no longer CSPM gear play anymore, right? It's a complete solution that customers are looking for. CSPM is, is, is great. It's definitely a subset of that. It's a bigger subset of the cloud posture, but there's yeah. containers, there is a CIEM, the entitlements that we talked about. There is a anomaly detections out of that malicious activity. So those are like, and then you also need the CD scanning as well, part of that. So it's like a lot of things now customers oh, are- CSPM scanning for CSPM now. I mean, it's not part of a CS, CSPM, but it's like that complete cloud. Oh, right, right. Yes, yeah. The expectation is there. Yes, that's right. right. Because if you're, you're, you're using CICD. Well, what do, you, what do you have for my CICD? I just can't use a CSPM tool. But anyways, I think to your point, what we talked about the fifth generation real time, we talked about the context, which is sort of, you kind of mentioned about, but context now is like one step into the layer where Kubernetes containers part of that context as well. It's like the layers and other containerized applications part of that. I think there's a point that I talked about where you have automation when the new cloud accounts are onboarded. Like, you yeah. know, we, we talked about having a dedicated cloud account per workload or per system. Great. Yeah. yeah. But then you have so much overhead now to go <laughs> and onboard those, create roles so you can go provision for these solutions. So those are some, you know, things that you want to automate and make it more easier to manage, operationalize. Yeah. There are things that you want to create projects for each. So you have the center entity in the organization sort of managing all the cloud accounts, but then you want to delegate that responsibility to the indiv individual team owners. Say, hey, I created this segment for you, or this is project, and this are all the accounts part of that. Now you manage it. Now you can have yeah. alerts coming to you, findings, you have to resolve it. This is your thing. So you sort of democratize that to across the whole organization. So that has to be part of the uh, solution too. Yeah, and I think to what you rightly called out as well, because now no one uses one AWS account anymore. Hopefully they don't, but multiple AWS account comes with like, okay, now I've got all these free accounts, but most people that I end up speaking to, they have about three, 400 AWS accounts. And if each on the, on one the of lower them, side, the lower end, I'm like, we've on, on the lower end, that's right. Yeah. On the lower end. And yeah. you almost hear that and go like, holy shit. Oh, you have 300. And then, yeah, yeah. We have Kubernetes, we have containers, we have serverless. Like any, the complexity is just so intense that you almost feel like, oh, so what does your team look like? Does your security team know how to secure Lambda, how to secure containers, Kubernetes? Like these are different technologies as well. These are not just like the same thing. It's like, Knowing, oh, I know Java and I know, I don't know, like .NET. Uh, you know they're programming languages, but they're still quite different in the way they operate and work and how that would be. So, yes, maybe a general expert. Like, do you feel like the field is getting complex as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely, right? There's so much that you have to keep up with. I think that's, again, education, learning. That's number one for sure that everyone, like to, to your point, is a new service that that is being introduced by, by a team to solve a particular uh, problem, then you need to know about it, how to secure it, so things like that. And also, you know, this is another, I was going to talk about the the next sort of step after this, the fifth generation, which yeah. is you know, CNAP, that's great. There's a new thing happening now is where this, I know organizations are being multi-cloud, 
right? Like yeah. we, we multi-cloud is here to stay. There's no way yeah. I'm gonna lock right. into into AWS. Sure, the the team can be in AWS, but then organization has hundreds of teams and they can use whatever cloud is right for that need, either yeah. Azure, GCP, or AWS. So are you going to have from any multi-cloud to make to manage it? You gotta do security, you gotta do cost, you gotta do automation, you gotta do operations, so many things. So and then are you gonna provision and different roles for all those different access so that vendors can do costs separately and security separately and automation separately. This is not manageable. You're opening up more and more attack surface, like we talked about with supply chain, yeah. more and yeah. more risk. So, you know, now it's going beyond like, I want a cloud management solution. Everything, please. Right. Yeah. This is what they are looking for. This is what the next step is. I think it's a good point because to quote even what you were saying earlier about CICD pipeline is also a thing. And then there's the whole thing about cloud native versus vendor versus open source as well, in terms of the kind of tooling you may have in your environment. And then, I mean, in just within that, we've already spoken about two completely different scenarios. And then on the other side, we have the different kind of compute that we have that runs as well. And I mean, yeah, man, I think in, in a lot of ways, what I'm also hearing is for everyone who's listening in and thinking, oh, I don't know if cloud security is future. Kind of like you listen to this and go like, oh my God, it is complex, but that also means complexity means they need people to solve the problem. So I think we're going to be employed for a long time. Like, let's just say that. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I think I've got Gabriel saying he's really enjoying the discussion as well. Thanks for Gabriel. Appreciate that, man. I think that was a good call, man. I think that was like my last question as well, but where do you feel people can learn more about these kind of supply chain ransomware, more common attacks, where can they find more information about this to learn about? Yeah, so definitely there are communities out there. Cloud Security Forum is one of my favorite oh, yeah. communities out there. I recommend everyone here to go join that community. Great group of people. Also, I actually got a lot of my learning from following your previous guest, Shisha. Thank you for having that community going. And, you know, people share on LinkedIn. So following them has been really uh, great. Uh, CSP is also doing do really good job in calling that out in the documentation. So that's also really cool. And there are other vendors as well. They do a really good job in, in sort of calling out and dedicated looking for all these issues to, you know, to bring up. Yeah, well, that thank you for sharing that. I'll probably put the notes to our own podcast on the URL as well. Quite a few questions as well, which I was just a fun question meant towards the end. So we can switch over to that as well. First one being, what do you spend most time on when you're not working on this cloud technology? Oh, okay. So I have two young kids, so you can probably imagine they keep us very busy. I actually start my work early. I work on the East Coast hours. I'm the West Coast in the US by East Coast hours because my team is there. So six to three, and then after three, I'm done, 3, 3 p.m. So the rest of the afternoon to myself, I take my kids to after-school activities, which is fun nice. for me. And then on the weekends, I go for hikes. Seattle is a really good outdoorsy spot, so hiking is great. And museums, we, we love going to museums, so that's what I do. That's pretty awesome. Well, so it sounds like you have a fun day planned out, which is pretty good. Which kind of leads me to the next one. What is something that you're proud of but is not on your social media? Yeah, this is something I haven't shared publicly ever. I, I lost someone very close to me because of the pandemic in summer of 2020. Wow, beautiful, man. It was, it, was, it was really one of my tough times, tough times of my life. And I was in really bad state. I was looking for some way to 
take all the pain and convert into some purpose. And there are three things sort of I came out of that whole experience. The the first one is, you know, you only get one life. So if you if you want to do something, now is the time. And that changed everything. I reached out to you in 2020 after that experience. I'm like, dude, I, I'm not afraid of rejection. I, I want to go and connect with people outside. So I, yep. I highly encourage everyone to go do, you know, go follow your dream. If you really, now is the time to do it. Sure. I also got the opportunity to be on the on a big stage at a VMware Explore, which was, I had a big phobia of being on the stage, uh, public speaking, but I did it. I overcame it. That was awesome. So I'm just on that journey of continuous improvement. So the second point was, you know, become a lifetime learner, be a, have, have a growth mindset. You always yeah. want to continue growing. Yeah. And then the third one is, is that, you know, five, 10 years from now, people are not going to care about what features you're going to release, what product you're going <laughs> to they're going to, they're going to feel, I think I remember how you made them feel. Yeah. And, that's pretty right. right? Yeah. So, so I think I'm really proud of that trans- transformation that I've been through. I want to continue building on that foundation and keep growing. So I'm really proud of that. That's pretty awesome, man. I'm really proud of you as well for kind of, you know, transforming yourself. And I think, I think it's, it's funny. I think before the pandemic, a lot of people should talk about the fact that live every day, like your last day. But I think a lot of people really connected with that and what it really meant through the pandemic, especially the countries and cities that went through lockdowns. That was a very different experience for a lot of people as well, staying away from loved ones um, and unfortunately losing some loved ones as well. So, And I thank you for sharing that, man. I appreciate that. And final question, what is your favorite cuisine or restaurant that you can share? So I'm not big of a foodie, but I, I, I love the company that, you know, so you and me, we can go get a hot dog and that would be the best. Oh, perfect. But, <laughs> Don't you <know>. do that. <laughs> you know, but we should really break bread together. But I think, okay, so... so Wait, 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 is there a go-to meal that you normally go for? Like what's your, almost like a daily staple? Everyone has like a one daily staple. Is there a daily staple for you? So uh, seafood is really good in Seattle. So I, I definitely enjoy that. So, you know, kids are also you know, pretty big in having seafood, sushi, for example. So yeah, that. Awesome. No, thank you for sharing that. So I just want to quickly comment, address a few comments that came in. We need to really enjoy the session. Zena, the great episode as well as both of you. Vote for Shisha at the Sans GMA Award. Well, both for Zenith as well, because she's there as well, nominated. So like, both for both of us, there you go. Uh, thanks, Zenith. I, I really appreciate the support as well. But dude, that's for what we had time for. Where can people find you and connect with you when they more, know more about supply chain, ransomware, and all this world? Yeah, I'm an active on LinkedIn. So please connect on LinkedIn and we can definitely uh, chat more. There. Awesome. All right, and I'll leave your LinkedIn credentials. Oh, not credentials, but the LinkedIn link there. <laughs> Please uh, don't. don't. <laughs> Nobody my credentials. You can totally pass your credentials if you want. Yes, uh, right there. <laughs> uh, 007. Is that <laughs> but dude, thanks so much for this, man. I really appreciate that. And thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll see you again on the next AW Security episode. See ya. Peace. Thank you, Ashish.